I've received many requests from you about legal matters that actors are confronted with during their careers. Being a creative person can sometimes feel that we lack the ability to fully understand the practical side of contracts, the practical side of agreements. Today, I will do my best to share some thoughts on how to recognize the red flags, the ill-intentioned handshake, and those legal matters that keep us up at night on this episode of Casting Actors Cast. It's time for another episode of Casting Actors Cast, insights for actors from a casting director. Each week, we show you how to advance your talent and your career with practical tips, advice, and positivity. Here he is, your host, Jeffrey Dreisbach. Well, hello and welcome to today's episode of Casting Actors Cast. I'm casting partner Jeffrey Dreisbach with McCorkle Casting in New York. I hope you're having a good day. Welcome. So glad that you are here. Hey, listen, if you would do me a favor, check out castingactorscast.com and find all kinds of cool information on the website. Uh, casting actors cast all one word dot com there you're going to find some past episodes you're going to find some show notes called jeff's jots also that's a way you can leave me a message if you want to get a hold of me you can ask a question but there's also a form there that says dive into the talent pool it asks for your name and your email address just fill that out and what will happen is it'll open up a menu of some freebies you can have and i did say freebies one is a book that i wrote on doing voiceover work called conversation pieces out of the studio the voiceover workshop for professional actors it's a 100 page pdf that you can download absolutely for free so listen if you're interested in doing voiceover work and you get something for free to kind of figure out to negotiate to navigate how you're going to uh, you know get into a voiceover career then by all means you might want to check that out additionally there is a free 20 minute video it's a private video on youtube and it's called casting secrets what they don't tell you and i'm going to tell you in this free 20 minute video all of this is just a way to get you to check out the website to become part of this growing community it's very exciting to see the numbers growing exponentially over time three years and counting on the podcast and i get just wonderful messages and comments from people every week and it is so rewarding uh, i do all of this on my own i'm like a one-man band putting these podcasts together i do it on my own time and it's really been a joy for me and i hope for you as well and here's my shout out to my good friends at actors connection if you haven't checked out actors connection listen you're missing out on some really cool stuff this is a wonderful online classes, seminars, workshops, um, all kinds of amazing training taking place with professionals in the industry. So do check out actorsconnection.com slash New York. So I received an email regarding, my most recent email regarding, um, can you talk about contracts? Can you talk about the pitfalls and some of the dangers that actors get involved with when they take a look at contracts and they don't really have a good understanding about contracts? And, you know, I thought about this and thought, well, this is a really good idea to talk about it. First of all, the assumption that we really don't know anything about contracts is not really, really true. Because in today's age, we have an opportunity and we have resources that we can find out if this is a legitimate contract or not. So we're going to dive into contracts. Um, I can also share with you that I feel pretty strongly 
because of my work at McCorkle Casting. I negotiate all of the contracts, not all, I have to say some of the feature film contracts are done through our agent. Yeah, casting directors have agents. Isn't that interesting? So our agent will, some of those bigger film contracts, the agent will handle in terms of negotiating, but many, 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 the majority of our contracts, I'm the one that's in negotiations. I contract, uh, I negotiate the contracts for our regional theaters. I negotiate the contracts for many of our films. Um, so multiple projects. And so I feel like I can share from my perspective what this whole contract confusion is that actors find themselves with. Because after all, like I said in the introduction, you're a creative person. How are you supposed to know this stuff? Um, and the answer is after today's episode, my wish for you is that you're going to feel much more comfortable, much more confident when these kinds of situations happen to you. All right. So first of all, let's just dive into this by talking about the types of contracts for actors. So there are basically five types of contracts that you should just simply be aware of. And this is not like you have to write these down, but if you want to get the show notes, okay, there's another promotional moment. You can go to the website and download the show notes so you have this information. They're called Jeff's Jots. And every week that I produce the podcast, I also put up the show notes on the website. Anyway, so number one, of the five kinds of contracts that I think are helpful for you to be aware of are the union-generated performance contracts. Union-generated performance contracts. So all of the performers' unions, SAG-AFTRA, Actors' Equity Association, American Guild of Variety Artists, they all create and have created contracts for each of the performance venues that you might be asked to play to perform in. Um, there are also contracts generated by the unions for agents to follow. So if an agent is interested in signing you, and you've heard that term, uh, the agent wants to sign me, they will produce a union-generated contract. So that means that the unions are there for the performers. They offer protections um, and they offer all kinds of really great things. So you want to check out your union membership status. You want to figure that out. But even if you're a non-union member and an agent asks you to sign, they will usually produce a union-generated performance contract. So that is a generator for age, uh, film, for example, television, theater. They all have their own types of contracts. But here's the thing. Because they're generated, they're created by the performer's union, rest assured that the performers are genuinely being protected. <laughs> There's not like unscrupulous stuff happening from a union-generated contract. So uh, a contract for signing with an agent, for example, really lays out in very clear, unambiguous terms the arrangements that are being asked of the performer, but also the responsibilities of the person who is providing the contract. That also goes for film, film contracts, SAG after contracts, whether you are doing a day player on a television series or a feature film, whether you are a guest star, whether you are appearing in uh, another film or television uh, generated a performance situation, um, those contracts are all from SAG-AFTRA. Theater is the same. 
Now, what's interesting about Actors' Equity Association is that there are different types of contracts for each of the venues that you might be acting in. For example, there are LORT contracts, L-O-R-T, that stands for League of Regional Theaters. And there are designations for those theaters. There's a LORT A, B, C, D. Those um, determinations are basically the size of the house, the size of the audience. And so a LORT A contract is different than a LORT B contract. It has nothing to do with the quality of the theaters. <laughs> it has everything to do with the size of the audience. And so all of those contracts are laid out. There are also musical theater contracts. There are um, chorus contracts for musical theater. Uh, there uh, are contracts for different kinds of theater or theatrical appearances. For example, a college or a university may want you as a guest artist. Well, Actors' Equity provides a guest artist contract. So you see, union-generated performance contracts are there to protect the performer, are there to protect the actor. So that's the first type of contract that you need to be aware of. Now, the second type of contract is what I call individual or organizational commitment agreements. Organ That's a lot of words. <laughs> individual organizational commitment agreements, usually generated by managers or non-union entities. So there may be some non-union theaters that have and produce their own contracts. Or there may be a manager who has their own contract. And the contract there are written by those organizations. So that's something to be aware of, that if it is not coming from a union and they're generated by the organization, then you might want to just be a little bit more cautious, making sure that the language of the contract is such that you are in full uh, understanding of exactly what is being asked of you. And we're going to go into that a little bit more in a moment. Um, and then there are not those non-union ent entities, like if it's a dinner theater, that's a non-union dinner theater. Or if it's um, a small, just, you know, a summer stock kinds of situations that is non-union, there may be contracts or uh, there may be number three. This brings us to our third type of contract, which is called a letter of agreement. LOAs. Now, the confusion with letters of agreement is that many people think, well, it's just sort of a generalized agreement uh, uh, as such. And you know what? Letters of agreement are legally binding. So whether it's called a contract or it is a letter of agreement, the difference being that many times the letter of agreement is very um, scaled back, scaled down, doesn't necessarily include all of the legalese that a contract might have. But a letter of agreement really does lay out the basics for what is being asked for of the actor, of the performer. So um, letters of agreement are something to be aware of. And the difference is, is that they oftentimes do not go into the greatest amount of detail. Many times, letters of agreement are the first step before signing a full-fledged legal contract. So there are certain terms that are agreed to in the letter of agreement, and then later, perhaps, a fully um, exercised, <laughs> a full legalese kind of agreement that might be produced 
uh, for you to sign as well. Nothing to be afraid of. Letters of agreement are very, very common. In fact, um, from where I sit as a casting person, um, we generate letters of agreements for many of our theaters all the time. Um, It's just like fees for service. It's just, you know, this is what we will do for you, and this is how much you can compensate us for our service. That brings us to number four, a fee for service. Um, Sometimes there are performers or actors that are being asked to do work that is not within the usual or normal set of performing circumstances. I'll give you a quick example, and this this is like way back when I was a performer, but I got a phone call from a company who really wanted somebody to dress up as a robot I'm not kidding you. Dress up as a robot and to do a presentation for a client. And the client was somebody that this agency was working towards and they wanted to present, you know, the concept through the eyes of this mechanical robot. And so I think the fee was like, it was pretty cool. It was like for three hours, it was like $1,500. I thought, well, yeah, baby, I'm there. Sure, I'll, I'll dress up like a robot. So I got the robot costume, I got the silver makeup on my face, blah, 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 and I got handed a check for $1,500. The contract was really much more of like an independent contractor, or in tax terms or government payment terms, it's called a 1099. Or it can be, for example, an educational experience. If you're asked to come in as an actor and do a little workshop with students, you might be just given a fee for service, an independent contractor type of contract as well. I just want you to be aware that there are other uses for actors <laughs> in some of these situations. And that's where the fee for service or maybe educational can come into play. Number five is not really a different kind of contract, but it's something I needed to put here, to insert here, just so that you have an awareness that this is something that is done quite frequently. And that's what I call amended contracts. Any of the four contracts that I just gave you might contain additional add-ons or might have additional amendments put into them, additional language that is more specific or germane to the job that you are uh, being asked to work. So amended contracts or add-ons to any contract or agreement, that's just something to be aware of. That's not something to be like freaked out over. If you see a standard SAG after contract and then you see additional languages tacked on at the end of that contract, that's something to be aware of. That's not anything necessarily to be freaked out about. Um, As long as you understand the language that's being shared with you in those amendments. So let's move on from there and talk about the basics of any contract. And these are the qualities or the, um, that's not the right word, not the qualities, but the, uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of the right word here. The language uh, that is contained in any contract. Gosh, I don't know why I had problems with that. So the basics of any contract. First of all, clearly you know, fees to be paid. (laughs) What are the fees that you are going to be paid for the service of provi- that you are providing as an actor? Many times that includes residual payments. 
as you know, residual payments are after-the-fact payments that are being made. If you do a television commercial, for example, um, and it's over a 13-week period of time, SAG-AFTRA has very clear language that residuals are to be paid should that commercial run for any uh, future airings. Um, In feature films, for example, there's discussions about points. Points being percentage after box office or because of box office take after the film production company has made its money back and is in such a um, position to start offering points. Then you get some additional points. Um, Usually that's for leads in, in films or secondary characters in films in lieu of an upfront fee. You might get a smaller fee, but yet points at the end should the film be or the television project be successful. There's also, uh, in many contracts, there's profit-sharing profit agreements. Um, for example, Broadway contracts are, are known because of the producer agreeing to put money in for your retirement um, or other kinds of profit-sharing that takes place. Points and profit-sharing sometimes can go hand-in-hand, hand, but the language is very specific about when those additional payments kick in. Um, So retirement contributions, like I said, are something um, to be considered. Additionally, in terms of payment, the schedule of payments are also made very clear in every contract. When will you be getting paid? Uh, How is that payment scheduled out? If you're paying all of the money up front, or is it going to be a weekly or bi-weekly? All of that language is provided in almost every contract. Um, The other thing in contracts, number two, is the length of service. How long is the agreement in effect for? So if it's the run of a play, well, then clearly that language is going to be spelled out. It starts on this date. It ends on this date. That kind of makes sense, I I would think. But also know that written into many agreements are the possibilities of extensions. Should there be a longer run of a play because of its success, then that language is also spelled out. So the length of service is also very clear. Length of service as it relates to feature films, for example, they have what's called a board. The board is the start date, the days you're going to be on set doing the job, uh, transportation dates, and last day of shooting dates. So that language is very clearly uh, made um, available to the actor, um, and therefore it becomes very, very clear that the length of service is laid out in a very, very succinct way. Now, having said that, I can tell you that that is generated usually from what's called a deal memo in feature film. The deal memo is something that you would never see as a performer, but between casting and the representative of the talent, the agent. So casting, acting on the producer's behalf, would come up with a deal memo laying out the specific terms of that agreement, and that's Deal memo is what is being generated when a contract is produced for the actor to sign. Anyway, I hope that makes sense. It's kind of a uh, just an additional sort of injection there of how it actually works. I didn't want you to ever be surprised if you hear, well, that was in the, the deal memo. Um, transportation, all of that stuff is provided in a deal memo and then laid out even more clearly in a contract. And that's for feature film and television projects. So just something to be aware of, some additional input is being made at that point in time.
So uh, number three of what to expect in any contract is the definition of what's to be provided. <laughs> the usual customary um, uh, service that is being asked for to play a particular role. You are being hired to play this character in this project shot at this time. Any additional requirements of what is being asked for you. Uh, for example, um, there is a reasonable expectation for you to be doing press or publicity for a feature film or a television project. All of those things are worked out very, very clearly. But I didn't want you to be surprised if suddenly you feel, gosh, the show is, you know, my, my contract ends here, but now I'm being asked to do some additional things. Understand that that language is very clearly and should be very clearly laid out. So the usual customary additional requirements are also something that you might expect to see in a contract. Moving on from there, some additional elements that are in almost every contract is what we call the null and void. So if there is reasons or are sorry let me say that again language is challenging today if the contract has reasons that need to be spelled out to break the agreement whether it's you breaking the agreement on the contract or the other party breaking the agreement with you that null and void language is put into the contract quick example if you sign an agreement with a, an agent for example and the agent wants to sign you for a year. And that's very common, by the way, six months to a year. They want to sign you. They want you to work exclusively with them. They want to work exclusively with you um, because it's an agency. They're going to be sending you out on auditions. They really need that commitment from you as well as you needing the commitment from them. That's amazing. But written into the contract is a 90-day period that if you do not get any auditions, or if you do not book anything within 90 days, then the agency has the right to drop you from the contract. Also, you have the right to drop the agency from the contract. So written into the contract is a 90-day, what I call the null and void. So there are clear reasons to break the contract. And the union is very much supportive of that language being put in, but there's also additional information that if you are a union member, for example, there are additional protections that are there. And then number five, something that you should be seeking out in any contract is ways to seek restitution should that agreement be broken or dissolved. In other words, if you're working um, at a regional theater, and the director just decides that they don't want you to continue on with the production. There are definite agreements in place that you need to be compensated for the time and the energy that you've put into the project. So that language is something that is included in almost all contracts. Um, also, there's additional language, and this gets kind of bogged down, and I just don't want to do that to you. I don't want to bog you down with this additional stuff. But there's also discussions about going to uh, arbitration, having some a third party make a decision about the compensation, and that additional language is sometimes there. So if you see that, don't freak out. It's sometimes written into contracts in order to protect both parties. And then finally, number six, um, signatures. 
So that makes sense, right? So it's your signature, it's their signature. Who signs first is dependent upon the situation you find yourself in. But usually if you're being offered a contract, that party has already signed the contract and your signature seals the deal. All right, let's move on from there and just talk about some things to remember. Um, things that I mentioned a little bit earlier, but I need to kind of solidify with you today. One is union-generated contracts are usually very safe and secure. Why? Because they're written through the performer's perspective, with the performer in mind. So union-generated contracts are usually very safe. They're very secure. The thing to be aware of is this, there are additional amendments to that particular contract that you just need to be very clear with the language. Speaking of that, the legal ease of any contract must be clear and unambiguous. And this is challenging sometimes because you we don't talk in legalese, but sometimes contracts feel so dense and the language is the first party of the first part and the second party of the third part. I mean, it becomes really crazy. So... Every contract must at least have um, unambiguous language, information that is very clearly laid out. And if it is not there, that is the time that you must seek out additional resources to help it make sense. Don't rely on the language of the person who's offering you the contract. It's important that if there's anything that is confusing to you, that you must seek additional information. That does not necessarily mean seeking out a lawyer, by the way, because that'll cost you time. That'll also cost you money. And that might also provide some ill will between you and the other party. But be, be, let me be very clear here. The language must be unambiguous. You must understand exactly what is being said. Here's another suggestion about contracts. I would never, ever have you sign a contract immediately. Now, even though I believe very strongly that bad contracts are very, very rare, um, they do happen. I know they happen. But sometimes I think actors go a little overboard with their concerns on some of these contracts. But I think the bad contracts are not that common. Um, the only ones that are um, suspect to me are the ones that are generated from the other party without any additional influence. Like sometimes managers' contracts can be very confusing and you need uh, some additional support, some resources there to help you with that. But the most important thing is your comfort level, right? I mean, you need to feel like you understand and it's comfortable. But I often suggest if a contract is offered, giving yourself a little bit of a break, uh, saying, can I return this? I, I want to read it through. Do you mind? And I'll get it back to you tomorrow or whatever the situation is. That just kind of makes sense. No one is going to fault you for that. And if they do, mm, see, that's to me a red flag. <laughs> So here's the thing that I feel about legal advice, and you might disagree with me here, and you're certainly more than welcome to. I think erring on the side of caution is better. But my feeling and my sense of things is that legal advice should only happen only if there are questions that really are unanswered. Um, frankly, I, I, uh, and that's important, right? Unanswered questions need to be dealt with. If, it, if it's confusing in any way, then by all means, don't sign anything. But I also think that you should consider not wasting your money. Just be confident with 
any agreement that you have, that there is goodwill between both parties. But if there is something there, you have to check it out. Again, you can check it out with perhaps uh, somebody who's in the same position. Maybe uh, somebody else who has had the similar contract. Maybe you have a relationship with a casting director and saying, you know, I, I got this contract and something kind of weird about it. I'm wondering if you would mind just giving me your advice. Legal advice is important and necessary should there be any questions. So don't get me wrong about this. But I also, like I said, I also think there's sometimes the sense of a little going a little bit overboard. Let me just also share this with you, if I may. A contract is really not there for your emotional well-being. Sure, it's great. It, and you want to feel good about the job. So there is a sense of, of you know, of well-being and, and, and emotionally being comfortable with the environment. I'm not saying that. But I just want to remind you, it's not meant for that. It's meant as a business. You are the CEO of your own company. And so from that perspective, a contract is just good for business. Uh, now, I uh, have said this, and I mean this, healthy skepticism is valid. It is only valid to a point, however. If you keep a business perspective on all the negotiations and all the contracts that you're being given, you will rest easy because you know the legal matters and you will find value and support in any agreement you make. Hey, if you like this episode, please feel free to give me a thumbs up, a like. Please feel free to share this with others. Also, I would love a review from YouTube or iTunes. It really does help the podcast. I'm Jeffrey Dreisbach. Thank you for joining me. This is Casting Actors Cast. Thank you for joining Casting Actors Cast. Please don't forget to review, like, and share Casting Actors Cast wherever you get your patios, podcast videos. Thanks. I'm Megan Grace Martinez.